all of the classes I had to take, I saved all of those for last. Not because you save the best for last, but usually you put off the stuff you're not looking forward to. And I will tell you that it was absolutely fascinating, those classes, to see how we got from the time of Christ to where we got now. And so that's going to be uh, one of the next two. But uh, today we're going to cover uh, the question that I've gotten many times uh, over the course of three years. And that's, Pastor, why don't you wear a tie? And so we're not just going to cover uh, the topic of wearing ties or not wearing ties. We're going to kind of cover, uh, in a nutshell, why do we wear what we wear to church and what should we wear to church? It's a pretty valid question, right? Have you ever thought of it yourself? No? I mean, just over the course of this last two weeks, I've been wondering why I've been wearing the bathing suit I've been wearing for so long. I mean, there's so many other options out there that uh, I wasn't even made aware of. Come on, guys. It's the Olympics. Loosen up just a little bit. Uh, we're talking about what people wear. You guys look like you just saw a ghost. Anyways, uh, so anyways, we've been questioning all of our... Uh I'm glad some of you have a sense of humor. Uh, we've been questioning all of the things that we wear. And so what I want to do is I want to jump into the scriptures. I want to talk some about what the Lord does tell us to wear. I want to ask us, why do we feel like we're the experts on what the Lord wants? Because most of the time, if we're honest... We feel like that the Lord prefers the same things we prefer, right? Have you ever noticed that? It, generally speaking, whatever we like, whatever we prefer, that's what the Lord prefers as opposed to the other way around. And so we're just going to jump in and talk about those things. And I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. Then we'll jump in with both feet. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the freedom from sin that we have. Father, I pray that we would be able to go to your word this morning. I pray that we would take truths from it. Father, I pray that we would apply them to our lives. And Father, I pray that uh, in doing all of these things, that we would be honoring to you because that's what we desire most. Father, we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're going to go through a couple different scriptures, but I'm going to start out in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 22. And before I jump in, I just want to... Um, make a general statement. And I hope that over the course of our being together that we realize that when you go to the Old Testament for illustrations, you can't just take things directly out of the Old Testament and apply them to the New Testament, uh, especially in regards to the temple. Hopefully everyone realizes that the Old Testament temple did not become the church in the New Testament. We all together on that? That uh, the church is not a bunch of different temples in different places. The temple was where in the Old Testament the presence of God was in one place on the earth and anybody on the earth who wanted to be in the presence of God came to the temple. When Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins, to pay for my sins, he, or excuse me, when he died on the cross, when he gave his last breath, the veil in the temple tore, symbolizing that there's no need for a temple anymore. And then we find out later on in Paul's writings that actually you and I as believers in Christ are the temple now. Okay? Because now Christ, unlike the Old Testament, now the Holy Spirit of God inhabits each of us who have been forgiven of our sins by Jesus Christ. Give me a little head nod to make sure we're all on the same sheet of music. And so when we refer to this building as the house of God, that is incorrect. We all know what we're talking about, but it's incorrect. Because you individually are the house of God, right? God lives and dwells in you. When you guys are gone through the week and I come into the sanctuary, God isn't in here until I walked in and brought him with me. You with me? I don't want to take away from God being omniscient and being everywhere at the same place, but I want you to get the gist of it that, that there's, there's nothing inherently special about 
this room. It's you that's special. And so you can't take illustrations from the Old Testament temple, move them directly over to the church. But having said that, there's some principles that you can take with you. Okay, there's there's things in the Old Testament law that don't apply today. There's a couple different things that you do with scriptures that you read in the Old Testament. Some of the laws are moral, right? And some of them are ethical. Some of them are, excuse me, some of them are ritual and some of them are ethical. You following me? And so some of the things you did in the Old Testament were by way of ritual. Some of the things you did in the Old Testament are ethical. So while we wouldn't say you throw out the whole Old Testament, it's still bad policy to marry your cousin. Okay? That's in the Old Testament. It's still a good policy today, so I don't recommend it to any of you. But there's some things in the Old Testament that were um, prescriptive that we can do now, and they, they deal with how you dress. The first one is a bad idea. So Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5. How should you dress? We'll start our, our search in Deuteronomy chapter... 22 verse 5 a woman shall not wear man's clothing nor shall a man put on woman's clothing for whoever does these things is an abomination to the lord your god and so rule number one on what you should or shouldn't wear to church no cross-dressing is the first rule right if you're a man you don't wear women's clothing to church if you're a woman you don't wear men's clothing to church okay that's just a good policy this is going to be fun you got to smile a little bit like at least at least at least recognize when we're trying to say something funny. And so, don't cross-dress. The second one is in the book of Deuteronomy also, chapter 22, verse 11. It says, you shall not wear a material mixed of wool and linen together. And so, you're not allowed to, in the Old Testament, mix your pieces of clothing together. And so, let's just say, if we were to go with the Old Testament prescriptive way that all of you would be struck dead if you were to enter into the temple because most of you are wearing blended clothes. Nobody's wearing all cotton probably from your head to your toes right and so that's prescriptive in the old testament when you go to the temple and you go to worship and in your day-to-day life you wear all cotton or you wear all wool you don't mix the two so i don't even know what to do with a polyester blend and uh yoga pants and all that other stuff that uh is is on the table don't know what to do with all that but what i'm saying here is that there's a lot of principles in the old testament that apply to the old testament The cross-dressing one, however, still applies. Keep going through the scriptures, and you get over to the New Testament about what to wear to church, what to wear in general. And actually what you're going to find in the next two scriptures is that the people that deal, uh, this is Paul in the first one and Peter in the second one, they actually only deal with what women wear to church. And so the things that you're prescribed are directed towards women. Now there's some advice that's given to women from the holy spirit that the men can can grab some nuggets of truth out of also but the first one's going to be in the book of first timothy chapter 2 verse 9 first timothy chapter 2 verse 9 first timothy 2 9 says this likewise i want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing modestly and discreetly not with braided hair and gold or pearls Or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women, making a claim to godliness. And so women are to adorn themselves with proper clothing. And the first thing he says out of the gate is modestly. And so when a woman goes to church, she shouldn't wear anything that makes someone else's husband or another man double take them. Following me? Right? I want to say just very plainly and very complimentary... I think this is something that our church does good. 
I think this is something that our church does really well at, ladies. I think you're to be uh, complimented. Uh, there have been times in churches that I've been in and you've probably been in where your thought was, oh my gosh, what are we even doing here? Uh, I've seen a trend in funerals where uh, young ladies wear things that are very provocative to funerals. And it's like, wow, are we at a nightclub or are we at a funeral? Like, uh, what's going on here? I'm not, not sure where I am. And uh, I just want to say that I think, I think the way the older ladies all the way down to the younger ladies at our church dress is 100% appropriate and just want to give a compliment. And so, but Paul in his talking to Timothy tells the women to be modest and to be discreet, not with braided hair, gold, pearls, costly garments. And the braided hair was a cultural thing. So don't think if you've braided your hair this morning that you're on the hot seat. And don't think if you wore gold, uh, as long as you're not to the extent of Mr. T, that you're in good shape, pearls and costly garments. The idea here is that you need to be modest and you not need not to be showy. And you need, if someone who is has less things than you comes in, you need to not be dressing yourself in a way that draws attention to yourself or makes them feel bad for not having something. Follow me? That we not uh, draw distinctions between ourselves. And so then if you keep going over to the book of Peter, a couple pages to your right, Past the book of Hebrews, James, you get to First Peter. This is First Peter chapter three, and he says some of the same things. First Peter chapter three, verse three, says this: Your adornment, and he's talking to ladies again. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, or wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. And so he goes on to say that, listen, you need to be modest, but don't worry so much about the things that you wear. What you need to worry about when you go to church is who you are and what you have on the inside. And so if you're a lady here and you've ever wondered why I don't wear a tie, you're probably thinking, yeah, well, get on with why you don't wear a tie. Stop telling us what to do. And so here I think that we can take as men that... Don't let your adornment be external. That makes sense for men too. Um, we don't have to worry about the dresses. But don't be flashy when you go to church. But let what's important be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. And so the nuts and bolts of it is is that we as God's people need to be more concerned with who we are on the inside as to who we are on the outside. You following me? That we need to probably spend more time getting the inside right than we spend getting ourselves ready for our day-to-day lives. There are a lot of people who spend a lot of time in front of the mirror. If you can't tell, I'm not one of them. But uh, there's a lot of people who do do that. And I wish sometimes that we spent as much or more time working on our inside in God's Word and in prayer as we did getting our outside right. We live in a culture that is so content or so so consumed, rather, with looking the part instead of being the part. I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to, uh, to get too opinionated, but there's a whole culture of young men in colleges who have uh, lumberjack attire, beards, and the whole get-up, and they've never picked up an axe in their life. They just want to look the part of a male college student. True story. That's what's cool. It's cool to... They call them hipsters if you don't know. It's cool to look a certain way, but they would not be able to function in that way. 
So we laugh at those college guys, right? We think it's funny. Have you guys ever been to a college campus and seen what I'm talking about? It's even cool now for guys to pull their hair back in ponytails. That's cool now. You guys are so out of it. You don't even get, you don't even know what's cool anymore. You don't even know what's cool. We got uh, we have college moms who have seen it in person. Anyways, so there we go, and we we laugh at that and we chuckle at that. But let me tell you this: just man to man, man to woman, there are churches filled with people who dress the part because that's what's cool to wear to church, and they are on a fast track to hell, and they think they're in good shape because they look the part and they showed up to the right place. But just like that college kid couldn't split wood if you gave him an axe and all day, there are people who couldn't tell you the gospel of Jesus Christ if you gave them all day as well, but they look the part just like that college kid. And that's a fact. Looking a certain way and showing up to a right place doesn't get you any merit in God's economy. What gets you merit in God's economy is who you are on the inside and whether you are clothed with Christ or not. And if you're clothed with Christ, you'll naturally look a certain way. To which you might say, well, preacher, if you had Christ, you'd wear a tie. And we're going to get to it. We're going to get to it. And so we keep going. And if you go back to the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, this is in the Old Testament, flip all the way back. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And we're going to look at some of the things that's important in God's economy. And so just to kind of set the table for you, uh, we've already been through the book of Judges. The people are, are doing what's right in their own eyes. At the end of the book of Judges, the people go, we want a king. And so God gives them Saul as their first king. Saul's a real tall, handsome, really well-built guy. He looks the part of a king. The people want someone who can ride out on a horse in front of them into battle and can be intimidating to the army. And God says, that's not what you need. And so God gives it to him anyways to prove to him that's not what they need. And so now Saul has made an utter mess of the kingship of Israel. And now God is going to anoint the king who he wants to be king over Israel. And so he goes, he sends uh, the prophet Samuel to uh, Jesse, David's father's house. And Jesse has a handful of sons. And so Samuel kind of takes inventory of his sons, and he does like we would do if you were called to pick a president or to pick a king. You would look for someone who looks the part, right? You with me? Right? And so he does that. And he looks around, and he says, okay, it's got to be that one. God says, no. Okay, it's got to be that one. God says, no. And so he goes through all of them, and God says, no, it's not any of them. And Samuel goes, well, God, it's got to be one of them because this is it. And so he turns to Jesse and he says, Jesse, do you have any more kids? And he's like, yeah, I got one, but he's kind of a runt. Uh, he's a small fella. They call him ruddy and handsome in the scriptures. And he's out with the sheep, but he's no king. And so Samuel says, well, show him to me. He see Daniel and God tells him that's the one. And listen to this in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that's what he says to all of the older children, and then he chooses Daniel. He says, don't look at the outward appearance of all those people, because what's important to God is what's on the inside, not what's on the outside. Keep going. You go over to the book of Proverbs. And this is a book that I've been living in here recently, Proverbs chapter 3. And I want to talk about some of the things that the Lord does recommend you putting on. So we see that God doesn't value the external a whole lot. As long as you, you're modest, you're in good shape. Proverbs chapter 3, this is a verse where God says to put something on. 
And I would go as far as to say that the Lord cares much more about you putting on what we're about to talk about than he does any sort of specific clothing. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Why? So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. So this is what he says. Don't let kindness and truth leave you, but put them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Why? Why should you be kind and why should you love truth? So that you'll find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. And so one of the reasons, this is completely fleshly, one of the reasons that I I don't wear a tie to get to the question is that I don't like them, okay? And I just feel like I should just be very honest with you and tell you that. When it's time for a funeral, I will wear a tie, I will, will wear whatever I need to wear to match what the culture says is appropriate. And so when I go to funerals, always wear a tie. When your sons and daughters get married, I will wear whatever the bride asks me to wear. If the bride says, I need you to wear a chicken suit, I'm going to show up in a chicken suit because that day is for the bride, not for me and not for any of you. You following me? And so she gets to decide. So weddings and funerals, want to wear a tie? No problem. Sunday, when it's time for me to worship the Lord, I feel real out of place wearing a tie. I feel real uncomfortable doing it. That's just putting it out there for you. Makes me feel weird. I think that when it's 110 heat index and you put a noose around your neck and you close up the vent on your shirt and you put a jacket on, I think that's the silliest thing in the whole wide world. So in case you don't know, I live about five houses down from the church, depending on how you count. I live around the corner. When I put a suit on to walk to church, that's the only time in my life where I would ever put something hot on to walk outside in the summer, and it just seems silly. And so you go, well, you must not like jackets either. Ding, 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 ding. I don't like them either, but I'll tell you, these jackets are incredibly functional for two reasons. One is those of you that think I should wear a tie, it pacifies you because I'm wearing something nice, a jacket. Okay? That's one reason. That's just one reason. Okay? The other thing is that it gets hot standing up here, and this jacket acts as a cover to cover up the shirt that I've just sweat through. And so it keeps you from being distracted, mostly. That's the purpose of my jacket. And so it's worth it to me to get this thing dry cleaned every once in a while just to cover up and make things aesthetically pleasing because my wife tells me whenever I have a wardrobe malfunction that it throws her off and probably other ladies who think things should be a certain way also. And so it, it does serve a, a purpose. And that's, so that's why it happens. But I think that over the course of time, You value me being kind and truthful more than you would value me wearing a tie. I think you all have known people in the past who have dressed the part but not been the part, and it gets old. It gets old. You can only look the part for a certain amount of time. And so I do my best, as a not as a pastor, as a Christian man, to be the part instead of look the part. I've never cared for how things look. Never. I want things to be functional, right? And I want to be the type of man who's a functional Christian man. And I want to be what God has called me to be instead of just looking like what people think I should look like. And so then you go over to the book of Colossians. And Colossians gives you another passage 
where you're supposed to put something on. And hopefully while you're flipping there, you don't find me shallow for any of my opinions that I just explained. But I want you to see that we're getting a lot of things out of God's Word. We're in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 verse 12 says this. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And so these are things that we're told to put on. Like you're not asked about these, you're told to put these things on. You've been called by God, you're a child of God. Now he says, put on a heart of compassion, be compassionate, kindness, be kind, humility, be humble, gentleness, and patient. You're called to be all of those things. And brothers and sisters, I do my best to be those things. And I feel like, honestly, I can be those things better without wearing a tie than wearing a tie. I really feel like I can. Some of you think that's stupid. I can tell by the looks on your faces. But then he says this, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And so I just want you to tell you that I try to spend more time doing those things as I recommend you should, as opposed to worrying about the things that we're wearing. And so, in the midst of talking about ties, I want to tell you some things that I've heard about ties. And I'm going to put some of you on the spot. So, uh, the first time I ever came here, I wore a tie. You probably see that as a bait and switch, and I can see that. And I'll apologize if it felt that way. And so, anyways, so we got here, and uh, once we came, and we were committed, and we made a good agreement that we were going to stick together, you and I as a church. Um, I didn't wear a tie anymore. And I found out from Penny Clow... She looked up now. She said, she confessed about a year and a half later. She said, you know, when you didn't wear a tie for the first five or six weeks, she said, I just assumed you had packed them all and you hadn't found them yet. (laughs) To which I thought was pretty funny. And uh, so uh, I didn't wear a tie from the the day I showed up until uh, probably Easter Sunday. And on Easter Sunday, uh, our family likes to wear seersucker things. And so I I had a seersucker... Uh, jacket and pants and just so you know that i'm not really consumed about the things i wear i got it for seven dollars at a thrift store so don't think that oh you went all out and you bought this suit because uh, it looked good but you you skimped on the tie so anyways i spent more for the bow tie years ago than i did for the suit i was wearing and so anyways so i wore a bow tie and when i wore the bow tie to church bob spivey looked at me and he said well preacher i guess we'll give you half credit uh, because it wasn't a full-length tie. It was just some of the, the funny things. And, uh, and I loved it coming from him because I knew he didn't, he didn't care either way. He was genuinely saying it to be funny. And so those are just some things that I've heard about ties before. And I want you to know that while all of that is, is hilarious, I think, these are the most important things. And I think if we were all honest, we would all rather come to church in jeans and a t-shirt and all of us be the things that we've called to be 
than us dress up on Sunday morning and not be the things we've been called to be. When we were visiting churches and I was a kid, visiting churches is like one of the the least uh, fun things to do. My parents are sitting in a Sunday school class and uh, the Sunday school teacher thinks it'd be a good idea for everybody to go around the room and to introduce themselves. And so we just wore like jeans and a collared shirt is just what I wore to church growing up. That's all I knew. And so they get around to my parents and my, my dad introduces himself uh, as a firefighter, had a pretty good distinguished job. Uh, my mom introduces herself and the next guy in line owns the, the clothing store in Suffolk, like in downtown Suffolk. And he, it's his turn and he turns to my dad and says, and I own the clothing store in town. And if you need help with the tie for next week, just let me know and I'll help you out. And that was the last time we set foot in that church as a family. If that guy would have been these things, we'd have gone back to church there. But he wasn't. What he wanted was for people who came to his church to look a certain way. The problem being is that he thought of the church as his church. And so one of the reasons also that I don't wear a tie is so that more people feel comfortable when they come to our church. And you may think, well, if they come to our church, they should dress our way. This isn't our church. This is God's church. And people need to feel comfortable coming in whatever they have. And you may think, well, preacher, you've got better clothes than you're wearing. I would tell you, get out of my closet. It's none of your business. But I do. I probably have more ties than most of the men here. I probably have more expensive ties than most of the men here, and most of them all were given to me. But I don't wear them because I want people to feel comfortable when they come here. And there are people who feel more comfortable when a place isn't, don't get all over me, when a place isn't stuffy. And I feel like, as a church, we're at a place where we need to be more personable to the average normal person. And I feel like, as a church, we've done fantastic at that. Because the people that I talk to that visit our church feel welcome. And I do not, in any way, shape, or form, attribute all of that to me not wearing a tie. But what I'm telling you is I feel like, as a church, that gets us in the right direction. And it gets us away from focusing so much on what people wear to just letting people come to church and be themselves. And that's just my personal opinion as to why I do it. And you may say, well, preacher, you're giving a lot more opinion this week than you do in other weeks, but you asked, so I'm giving it. And so what I want you to see uh, also is that if we go over to the book of John, the last verse I'm going to get you to is a turn to the book of John. I've got two other reasons why maybe I should wear a tie, okay? And so I'm, I'm, I'm hitting for you now, and the first one could be, well, you should wear a tie because you're a pastor, and that's what's expected of you. To which I would say, well, nobody told me that. And if you were to search the scriptures, nowhere will you ever find a garment invented in France as prescriptive to something that a pastor should wear. You just won't. When you turn to the book of Timothy and Titus and you look for what pastors should wear, there's a pretty good description of what a pastor should be. There's a list of qualifications. And I think that I would be much better suited to try to live up to those qualifications as to add a bunch more onto it. To which you might also say, well, if you're going through all the trouble to, to be those things, why not just strap a piece of silk around your neck and shut up about the whole thing? 
I get that. It makes good sense to me. And so the other thing that you might say as to why a pastor should wear a tie, and that is you're a professional, right? You're, you're out of the realm of blue-collar work, and now you're into white-collar work, and you need to dress the part. You need to be a professional. To which I would say the professionalization of the pastorate has killed the church. I want you to know that when your sons and daughters get married, I will be very professional. When you pass away and I do your funeral, if you like me enough for me to do it, I will be very professional. But when I think about my life, I don't want to be considered a professional. I would rather be considered more like a prophet than a professional. I would much rather be described as John the Baptist is described than anybody else in the Bible. I would rather be, uh, when people come to John, this is John chapter 1 verse 22. It says they asked him, this is verse 21, they asked him, what are you? Are you Elijah? He said, no, I'm not. Are you a prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, well, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. I would much rather wear camel skin and eat locusts. And plead with you to repent of your sins and make straight your ways for the Lord. Then I would ever want to be considered a professional. A professional carries with it a sense of political correctness. I don't ever want to be politically correct. Ever. I never want to compromise God's word just to make something more palatable. When we talk about transgender conversations, I want to tell you what God says and what God plainly says. When we talk about homosexuality, all these issues that our culture is facing, I want to tell you exactly what God says. I don't want to be professional about it at all. I want to be godly about it. I want to be God's mouthpiece to you, and that is oftentimes not professional, but it's more prophetic. And the last practical reason for not... Uh, wearing ties and always dressing nice during the week is because it's not in my nature. Listen, I am envious of some of you. Uh, not in like an ungodly way. I've been to meetings with Randy Walston at 7 o'clock at night, right? And Randy has gotten dressed about 6 o'clock that morning in nice clothes, and the guy walks into the room and still looks like a million bucks. I'm sorry if that embarrassed you. It made Angie really proud, though. When I get dressed at 6 o'clock in the morning, if I'm still wearing the same clothes, they are a wrinkled, slobbish mess. And I could wear the exact same clothes he has, and I would just look that way. Listen, I used to work, uh, when I was getting through seminary, with a bunch of illegal Mexicans. We would all be in the same hole digging with the same shovels, and at the end of the day, I'm covered in dirt and look like Pigpen off of the Snoopy movie, and all of them looked like they could go out to lunch and not even wash their hands. For some reason, I wear whatever I'm working. I'm that guy. I'm not the guy who can just go do something and stay clean at the end of the day, right? Some of you can. I can't. When I dress nice, I always pass somebody who needs help changing a tire, and now I've ruined a whole nother set of clothes, right? Or I have to do X, Y, or Z, and you snag a brand new pair of pants. That's why a lot of my stuff comes from the thrift store. Because I get a lot less downtrodden about it if it's a $7 pair of pants as opposed to a $70 pair of pants. And so, brothers and sisters, what I want you to know is that I love you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. If one of you came to me and said, Pastor, it is killing me 
that you don't wear a tie. And I have a hard time worshiping the Lord because of it. I would put on a tie the next day. I would. Because I would do it for you. I've told you guys that I don't handpick the songs that we sing. I don't handpick a lot of the things that we do. A lot of the things we do are so that you can worship the Lord and be comfortable. I feel like me not wearing a tie is the one time that I said, you know what, I'm going to do this for me. And you go, well, that's selfish. Well, there's a lot of other areas where people do get selfish and it really gets messy. And so let me have that one. I've had it for three years already. Let me keep having it. And I'll wear them when it's important. I've never embarrassed you that I know of. I'm sure that when I pulled my hamstring running home uh, last year at the baseball game, that was a little embarrassing. But uh, other than that, uh, I will do my best to love you and to be everything that a pastor should be. And if it means wearing something, I'll wear it. But I think it's to my benefit and our church's benefit to do things the way I've been doing them. And so I think we've made a pretty good case from Scripture why that's okay. And I think we've made a pretty good case from Scripture why I could stand to wear a tie more often. So having said that, I'm going to wrap us up with a prayer. And if there's any of you here uh, who have never given your life to Christ, uh, who the things I've been saying sound absolutely crazy, I want you to know that we serve a God who has forgiven us from all of our sins, and He would love to do the same thing for you. And so let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank You for the forgiveness of sins that's found in Him. Father, we thank You... That, uh, that you aren't overly prescriptive in what we should wear, but that you call us to be modest. Father, we thank you for the unity that we have. Father, I thank you that our church is not full of grumblers and complainers. And I thank you for the fun conversations we've had about different things. Father, I pray that uh, this morning has been a blessing to some. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who's never put their faith in you to trust them, to forgive them of their sins, I pray that today would be the day they do it. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you would stand with us for our hymn of invitation. It was good to see you. I'm glad that you were all here. I hope that this morning was a blessing to you. I want you to know that if you look in your bulletin under schedule of activities, uh, next Sunday at 8.30 a.m., there's a men's breakfast scheduled, and it is not going to take place. And so uh, don't plan on eating breakfast here uh, next Sunday at 8.30. Uh, You'd probably be more filled if you went to Bojangles instead because no one's going to be here. Love you guys. Care about you. Look forward to uh, the great things God's going to do with us in this upcoming year. And I'm going to ask Brother Bill Powell if you would close us in prayer.